The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. You're with Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Good to have your company. Now, this hour on the program, I'll get to Senator Holly Hughes and we'll talk about some of the big stories making headlines in Australia today and whether you can believe someone when they say you can trust me after they've just lied to you more than once, more than once. When it comes to politicians, we don't believe them anyway. So does it make too much of a difference? Maybe you've got a view on that. Let's hear from you on our talkback lines. And I'll talk to Holly about a number of other big news stories as well, um, making news today. I want to get to Dr. Alan Moran, my quite favourite environmental economist, and he is talking about the mammoth cost involved in eradicating coal-fired power. Um, No one's done the numbers, no one's done the sums, because when it comes to green evangelism, you are just heading for one goal, no matter what it costs. No one cares what it costs. No one cares whether we dump our living standards down the toilet, which is exactly what's happening in the Western world, and it's happening rapidly. No one cares about that. It's whatever it costs, whatever it takes. That's the motto. That is the ethos behind green evangelism. Plenty to talk about with Alan Moran a little bit later. But on Thursday, the US government sold the Federal Helium Reserve, which is a massive underground stockpile based in Amarillo, Texas, that supplies up to 30% of the country's helium. Now, once the deal is finalised, the buyer, which will likely be the highest bidder, the industrial gas company Mesa, will claim some 425 miles of pipeline spanning Texas, Kansas and Oklahoma, plus about 1 billion cubic feet of the only element on earth cold enough to make an MRI machine work. Fascinating. This is all from helium. I thought we only wanted helium to blow up balloons. Um, regulatory and logistical issues with the facility threaten a temporary shutdown as it passes from public to private ownership, and hospital supply chain experts worry the sale could have serious consequences for healthcare down the road, especially when it comes to MRIs. Uh, To be sure, a federal helium reserve shutdown wouldn't mean that MRIs would suddenly power down across the country. Um, But they are stressing that there is a shortage from a healthcare perspective, MRI machines are the number one concern. American patients undergo an estimated 40 million MRI scans each and every year to help diagnose cancer, brain and spinal cord injuries, strokes and heart conditions. It is essential. MRI is one of the great discoveries of uh, medical history. The superconductive magnet-powered imaging machines give doctors clear, high-resolution images of areas inside the body that they can't see on X-rays or CT scans. But without liquid helium, the Earth's coldest element, MRI machines can't keep their magnets cool enough to generate these images. Fascinating stuff. Unless you're in the hospital trade... Um, How would you know this? I I certainly didn't. The sale of the government stockpile of the non-renewable element could exacerbate an existing supply shortage. It's a fascinating area. That's how crucial and how sought after helium is 
in the United States. Now, I was talking just before the news about fake images. And if you are a celebrity and you have your head on a body that's nude or in a, a, a sexual act that shocks your family, etc., you would probably understand better how devastating it can be and how somehow it is totally uh, beyond the rights of criminality to be allowed to do such a thing. You would understand better if you're involved and you were the victim of it, as opposed to someone on the outside who, you know, most of us have a, a fairly cynical view of celebrities at the best of times. Um, but some of this has already happened to Taylor Swift, as we know, in a very uh, embarrassing sexual position. And she is fuming, absolutely fuming and calling on all kinds of uh, law enforcement agencies to intervene. She's kind of a little bit, I guess, distracted at the moment because the boyfriend's in the Super Bowl. But that's a question for another day. Meanwhile, in Australia, a very similar thing has taken place. Have a listen to this. A Victorian MP has accused Channel 9 of photoshopping her image to enlarge her breast and expose her stomach. And when I first read that, I thought, as if. As if Channel 9 would just use a photo that they get out of their catalogue of an MP in particular and start changing um, their feminine parts. Well, the photo of Animal Justice Party MP Georgie Purcell was shown over the shoulder of newsreader Alicia Loxley during Monday night's Nine News Melbourne Bulletin. The upper house politician had been in the news after voicing her anger at the state government's decision to call another duck shooting season. On Tuesday, Miss Purcell showed, shared the image from Nine News and compared it with the original photo, which she said was taken back in 2023. Miss Purcell said the photo used by Nine had clearly been photoshopped to look as if she was wearing a crop top. Why would you do that? What, to belittle the person making the allegation? Uh, she wrote, note the enlarged boobs and outfit to be made more revealing. Can't imagine this happening to a male MP. What gives? She pointed out that her stomach had been tattooed since 2020. She also said the image had been edited to enlarge her breasts. Nine News Melbourne director Hugh Nalen apologised to Miss Purcell for the graphic error. As if that's a graphic error. It's an intentional fake image forced on a politician. How long have they been doing that for? Graphic error? What, someone just happened to press the breast enlargement button and because that's sort of protruding on the keyboard? Come on. Our graphics department sourced an online image of Georgie to use in our story on duck hunting. He said, as his common practice, the image was resized to fit our specs. During that process, the automation by Photoshop created an image that was not consistent with the original. If you believe that, you believe in fairies at the bottom of the garden. Come on, Channel 9, you can do better than that. This did not meet the high editorial standards we have, and for that we apologise to Miss Purcell unreservedly. They got the last bit right, but the excuse was lame. Channel 9, lame automation in the Photoshop machine. Come on. She's got a crop top showing a stomach which wasn't part of the previous footage or the previous image. 
and bigger boobs? Like, come on. And if that's the kind of stuff that's been going on automated by Photoshop, what else has been going on with federal politicians? Have some federal politicians been part of the nine Photoshop accident too and have developed bigger boobs and, I don't know, different hair? This is this opens a major Pandora's box because you know what this leads on to? It leads on to, um, you know, using fake images on the internet, fake images that you cannot tell the difference from. You simply cannot tell the difference from. But there you go. That's the latest on the MP from Victoria. I wonder whether Channel 9 will attempt that again. This is Chris Smith on TNT. Talk that matters. For once, we just need to do what's best for this damn country and not what's best for the world. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I've got Senator from New South Wales representing, uh, of course, the Liberal Party. Her name is Holly Hughes. Holly Hughes, I wonder whether anyone has touched up your image at any stage. Oh, you can't mess with perfection, clearly. <laughs> no, I mean, what, your point is very serious, though, that you yeah. just you just wouldn't know. And, you know, political enemies, enemies elsewhere could use these sorts of inappropriate images and distribute them, say it's you. And, I mean, we know, you know, in this Me Too movement, post-world, that politicians now accused of anything it's trial by media and it's mm. guilt at the beginning, like you're just automatically guilty. Yeah. And so the fact that these things could occur and not be in any shape or form anywhere near reality is a very frightening prospect and yeah. it is something that everyone needs to be attuned to. And I think you, you need to be come with a little cynicism when you start to see these allegations about people, um, whether or not they're even true. Yeah, you know, it's 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 old-fashioned tradition in newspaper um, newsrooms, especially in the production department, to use a kind of photo, an embarrassing photo that fits the allegation made against the politician. I noticed that Donald Trump, what paper was it? I can't remember. I think it was the New York Post or some. No, it wasn't the New York Post. might have been the Times. But anyway, there he was uh, at the podium yesterday and they they got a snap at a time when he was uh, gesticulating and 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 going like this, he looked as mad as a meat axe. Like, he looked mad. And the story was about um, accusations of what he might do in the first 20 24 hours of becoming president. Yeah. And, and, and there was a photo on the front page of the Australian of Anthony Albanese, which was not flattering at all, mm. um, and it was a story about him telling lies. So they're trying to get something that made him look as if he just told a lie. So that's been going on forever. Oh, this is a different ball game. Yeah. And, look, you know, they do quite often get a steal of you speaking in the parliament or, uh, you know, talking to you now and get a steal where they manage to get you looking like you're a bit of a moron or a bit of a deal or something because you've got your mouth open in a weird way halfway through a halfway through saying word uh, and they use that photo. And, and look, I know I've had photos in the paper and thought, God, really, that's the best they could come up with, you know, and it's deliberate. Of course it is. You know, hey, we've got a shocker of it. We'll use this one. Mm. Uh, but the fact that it could now just be completely and utterly false and your head is just AI generated somewhere on, uh, you know, another body uh, is extraordinary wow. and very worrying. Yeah, very worrying. Like how do you legislate against that? You can't. Well, 
Yeah, I mean, it, it really is just going to come down to people being, a, you know, as I said, having a little cynicism when they see these things. Yeah. And, and maybe people might need to be believed when they say, uh, not me. Yeah. All right, let's now talk about the bloke who was on the front page of The Australian looking like he just told a lie, Anthony Albanese. He's on a tour of middle Australia uh, to bask, no doubt, in what he would deem to be the glory of his broken promise over stage three tax cuts because he's decided, if you haven't caught up with the story and you're listening, to share those cuts among the people who he's let down, the middle class of Australia. Uh, some political writers are saying that this will nullify the lie because he's spreading the advantage. And the PM himself had this to say in Rockhampton in Queensland this morning. This is a change of policy. It's a change for the better, and we're doing the right thing for all of the right reasons. And Australians can trust me to be prepared to make difficult decisions, not the easy decision. Uh, that is uh, the priority that I have, putting people before politics. Oh, you'd have to. As soon as I heard that, I scoffed, and I'm sure everyone else did. Makes his skin crawl, really, doesn't yes. it? It's actually gaslighting the Australian people. It's you know telling you, "I didn't lie to you. I'm doing what's best for you." And people seem to forget these things are referred to as stage three tax cuts because there has already been stage one and stage two mm. that was specifically designed for lower income earners. This yep. was designed for bracket creep. Yep. But worse than that, worse than that, you know, he came out on election night when he became prime minister, truth, treaty, the voice, uh, and then the voice was an election promise, and even when it was doomed to fail, he still spent four hundred and fifty plus million dollars on something because it was an election promise. He has promised on over a hundred occasions that he had no intention to make any changes to the stage three tax cut, that they were legislated, that Labor had supported them, that these were law, that that is exactly what would happen. And people have made decisions and plans around the tax cuts that they thought they were going to get. Right. And the people that pay the most tax are the people at the higher end. You know, it's something like uh, 3% of people pay over 30% of tax in this country. So the majority of tax is paid for by those high-income earners who now, and I mean, if you live in Melbourne and Sydney, $180,000 a year does not put you near middle Australia at no, all. Like, no. I mean, the cost of living alone uh, is extraordinary. So I think he's out of touch with what middle Australia is and what it looks like now. And the number of people whose salaries have crept up since 2018 into that bracket and 2008 since it was last changed. So, you know, there's a lot of people that have been let down, but he was going to, this was the, you know, he was Mr. Integrity. He was Mr. Doing Politics Different. He was the one that set the standard that I am going to keep my word. My word is my bond. And over a hundred times he said he was not going to do anything. And then I think what actually compounds it as well is that he had that emergency caucus meeting, you know, they all had to get together in Canberra at a cost of half a million dollars so the Labor caucus could discuss this. When they've already got ads ready to roll out straight away, it was not a discussion of caucus on whether or not they thought this would help. This it was, was a, a decision. Fight. This was a decision that was taken before Christmas that this yep. is what they were going to do. Yep. Both he and Chalmers were out saying that they, was, they were in no position, they weren't going to make changes right up until the day they did, but we know they decided to make the changes a couple of months earlier. So 
he not only lied all the times that he said he wasn't going to make change, he lied after they'd already decided they were going to do it. Yes. He lied and got the caucus there under false pretenses. So did yes. he lie to his own party room yeah. saying, I want to hear from you, and yeah. then get them to Canberra and go, by the way, we're doing this, whether you like it or not. So every Labor MP and Senator is now absolutely burdened with this lie. And uh, how can you ever take them seriously again? And worse still, and Simon Benson wrote a little bit about what I'm about to say today about this being an assault on inspiration and aspiration. Mm. If you work your butt off and become successful, well, don't expect a zack from the government. That's the message he's sending. Well, and a lot of small businesses are started when people have jobs and work the weekend and at night to set up their own business. Why are people going to do this anymore? Because they're now going to be slugged with so much tax. Yeah. It's going to be difficult for them to justify, why would I work harder? Why would I do more? Yeah. But it's so insulting to say to Australians, this is cost of living relief. The average worker, thanks to this government and their economic mismanagement, has lost over $8,000 a year out of their real wages with inflation and increased cost of living their real wages are $8,000 per year down. This alleged cost of living relief is that's going to be provided to them will give these average earners around $800 yes. a year more. Yes. It is 10% Drop of in what the they've already lost under this government. What a so joke. they're not going to be better off. They're already worse off. Yeah under this government. And I remember Amanda Vanstone being pilloried once because of the cost of a milkshake and something with regards to what a tax cut looked like. You know, $15 a week to a family who's experiencing cost of living pressures is not going to go very far uh, in this day and age at all. It's it's just insulting all around. Yeah. Spot on. I'm glad you made that comparison because it does sum up how much of a piddle in the ocean it all is. I've got to take a quick break. I'll come back with you in just a second, Holly. This is TNT. TNT's Abby Roberts. So this is the headline in The Guardian. Pleasure of sex is a gift from God, but avoid porn. Pope advises. What is it with religious people and sex? Isn't there anything else that's 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 more important to worry about? And this is what uh, this is what Pope Francis uh, say. I'm gonna I'm gonna read it in an Italian accent just to be even more offensive. Sexual pleasure is a gift from God, but Catholics must avoid pornography, Pope Francis has said. The pontiff, oh, I'll tell you what though, he was all for giving people lots of pricks during 2021. Bloody hell, mRNA's fine, but just not porn. Abby Roberts on TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. The benefits of advertising on today's news talk, TNT Radio, should be clear to businesses of any shape or size. It can be accessed anywhere, anytime, by anybody, and is the perfect way to build brand awareness and stimulate digital activity. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. If you're still wearing a cloth or surgical mask around in public, you're guilty of spreading COVID misinformation. It really is that simple. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I've got Holly Hughes with me right now. I do want to go to a caller, if I may, in just a short moment, but I want to mention the uh, Australian Financial Review 
polling data that they got hold of. Now, this is apparently internal Liberal Party polling, Holly, uh, published in the AFR. It reveals that the Prime Minister's popularity has fallen through the floor in the seat of Dunkley, which is where Labor faces losing the upcoming by-election. Yeah, I think it's a big call to say they're going to face losing this by-election. Peter Murphy was a very popular local member and after her tragic death, uh, you'd almost expect that the government would maintain uh, a lot of sympathy in the seat for what's happened to Peter and support flowing through. I think they are a whole lot less popular than they were when they won the Aston by-election. But if the government doesn't hold this by-election, it will be a very bad sign for them. And if you look at these stage three tax cuts, they are almost specifically designed. The rolling back of stage three, the breaking of the promise, has almost been strategically designed for Dunkley. If you look at the demographic in that seat, it's something like only 5,000 people in the whole seat that will be impacted uh, and not get the tax cut that they were promised. So you could be cynical there and say that this is just a desperate grab, a major broken promise to all Australians in a desperate bid from this desperate Prime Minister to hang on in a by-election. He should be winning. It's a very good point you make. I want to go to Glenn the Truckee, who's phoned through. Glenn, Holly Hughes is listening. Go right ahead. Hey, Holly. Look, I agree with everything that's been said about these lion mongrels, the Labor Party. Reality is we always out here in, in the great Ireland lied to us, but at least they had the decency to try and pretend that they weren't. They just lie all the time now. But what I really want to know, Holly... It's come out that the, our education system's indoctrinating our children. There was a a, uh, a poll taken on the twenty on Australia Day, and it was said that the sixteen to twenty four year old bracket wanted it changed, and it was due to the indoctrination of our children. Mm. Now we just had the teachers for Palestine exposed on Sky News. What is the New South Wales Parliament going to do to to uh, Sack every one of those teachers and fix our education system. So our yeah, before before Holly that. answers that, let, let me just tell our listeners and our viewers exactly what that story was last week. That audio tape was discovered where teachers were plotting, basically, um, to teach the pro-Palestinian version of what's occurring in the Middle East at the moment, even in mathematics class. That was the story. Go ahead. So, so I'm wondering... Now that well, we all, everybody knows that the indoctrination of our children is to the detriment of our country. And I'm wondering what you politicians are going to do about it because the education system comes under state power, doesn't it? Or am I wrong? So, yeah. Glenn, it does come under state parliament and I'm in the federal parliament, so I don't want to mislead you and say that I can tell you what the New South Wales parliament's going to do because I'm not a part of it. I do agree with you, though, that there has been an indoctrination of children and, unfortunately, an indoctrination of our children from almost preschool. And I can tell you, last year, I provided uh, to a friend of mine a whole series of small flags and bits and pieces I had in my office about Australia Day because his son's preschool, we're talking about three and four-year-olds, were not going to acknowledge Australia Day. They were acknowledging Chinese New Year. They were acknowledging other international days. They would do NAIDOC week, 
but they were not acknowledging Australia Day. So outrage. my friend Nick got a whole lot of uh, flags and bits and pieces from my office and took them in himself and gave them out to the kids so they had them for Australia Day. Uh, I'm a mother of three teenagers in high school and my kids know it better, but they come home quite often and tell me uh, what an interpretation of a text was that they were reading. Uh, my daughter, uh, who's coming into her last couple of years at school, uh, she's been old enough over the last bit while the referendum, et cetera, has been going on to hear the viewpoints of her teachers, uh, which did not line up with those of us that were supporting the no campaign and supporting Australia remaining together, not divided. You are 100% correct when you talk about the Palestinian absolute propaganda being pushed in the classrooms. Uh, I remember, I think it was even with you, Chris, in an interview I did that uh, we hear the chant from the river to the sea. Yeah. Well, my first question is what river and what sea? Yeah. And I bet half the teachers couldn't answer that question, let alone the students, yeah. because it is nothing but philosophy and indoctrination. So I don't know what the New South Wales State Education Department's going to do, but we need to get back to the basics in the classroom. We need our kids to be able to read, write, do some maths, know how to research things, know how to think about issues and get information from different sources. This absolute rubbish that's being pushed down their throats needs to stop. Yeah. Uh, but we need to put pressure on state governments to handle teachers, Glenn. I, I, I agree. Thank you for your answer, Holly. And because I now know you are in the federal parliament, Holly, can you please make sure that that, that minister foreign minister of ours gets sacked because she's been, she's been funneling money to terrorists for years now. Mm. So I'm disgusted in, in, our, whole, in our whole country. Because yeah, well, that, the funding to UNRWA has now finally been ceased and the UNRWA funding should have been ceased a long time ago. Yeah. I've actually, Glenn, covered in federal parliament in a couple of speeches where I've read from the textbooks that UNRWA, which is a UN organisation funded by many nations around the world, where their text to teach maths, to teach English, uses highly anti-Semitic uh, instruction and examples and encourages martyrdom, again being taught to the children of Gaza as young as three and four years old. And this is being funded by us. So we need this to stop and we need to stop funding organisations who are fundamental. Well, we now know UNRWA has staff who were members of Hamas. How about a little bit of scrutiny? Like at the end of the day, why wouldn't we scrutinise this this stuff a lot more than what we do? Glenn, I've got to leave you there. I want to go on to this specific subject that Holly has raised, the UNRWA. We've got major worldwide uh, a major worldwide freeze on funding from various countries, yeah. including Australia, because there are some serious allegations of let's put it bluntly, Hamas plants within the organisation, right? Yeah. And, I mean, I can give you and your listeners examples. I've read them out in Parliament of teachers employed by the UN and their social media calling for another Holocaust, yeah, calling yeah. for a genocide of Israelis. Yeah. And these are people, this is not new. 
This yeah. is the thing. A lot of us have been saying UNRWA should not be funded for a long, long time. Yeah. We have known for a long time that there are Hamas sympathisers in there, that the indoctrination of Palestinian children has been long running. And that is why it is so difficult to find a two-state solution because these kids have been taught since before they can almost walk that, you know, Israel needs to be wiped off the map. That is what from the river to the sea means. It mm. means Israel is obliterated. So, you know, we shouldn't have been funding them. And Penny Wong, the fact that she went to Israel, went to Jordan first and announced more funding for UNRWA when she already knew all of these things, everybody knew them. This is not new information. And she announced more funding for them that she has now been embarrassed into backing down on because thankfully Australia, in, for a very long time, I feel like we haven't been standing with our allies internationally, but we are standing with our allies now and saying no more. Yeah. At least um, they've been forced into that position. I wonder whether they would have done anything if uh, they weren't forced. I doubt it. Um, why is Labor wanting to tamper with negative gearing? Do they forget what happened to Bill Shorten at the election before last? Well, I mean, keep in mind they've told us they were not going to touch negative gearing and they're not going to put a tax on the family home. But this was in the same breath that they told us there would be no changes to superannuation, that the stage three tax cuts were legislated and would remain the same. So they've broken those two promises on superannuation. They've broken the promise on stage three tax cuts. Why would we believe them? And the weasel words that Jim Chalmers is using again have very strong reflections of what they were saying about the stage three tax cuts. So, you know, we need to be really aware here that the changes this government is trying to make to the fabric of our society, to the way that it works. And that it, these will not be quick fixes government is trying to make to the fabric of our society, to the way that it works. And that it, these will not be quick fixes uh, when hopefully there's a change of government in around 12 months' time because, you know, they are now putting in place long-standing damage uh, because why would people, you know, want to invest? Yeah, why exactly. would people? And if you if you put it in a situation where people are offloading investments because they're no longer, um, a, you know, a, a, a worthwhile investment for them, then you're absolutely putting the housing market at a hole in jeopardy. And when most people who do have equity in their own home, that is their biggest asset. Yeah. So it's all good to talk about housing affordability. But if you start to absolutely send the housing market over a cliff, you are destroying the biggest asset of most Australians who do own a Good home. point. Good point. And they'll suffer because of it once again mm -hmm. because they forget about what they're, uh, they've been culpable of in the past. I've got to run. You've got to run. Thank you so much for your time. It's great to have you on the program. See you soon. Appreciate it. Fantastic. Holly Hughes, Senator from New South Wales. When I say she's a Senator from New South Wales, yeah, for Glenn's purpose and other listeners and viewers, she is a federal senator. That's the way it works in Australia. She is a federal senator. She just happens to, to, to live in New South Wales and there are a number of senators from the Liberal Party who are installed as senators and that's where she comes from. But when it comes to teachers and their, you know, politicisation of the classroom, it is state governments that should be condemned for allowing it to happen. Now, I know that the Premier, Chris Minns, made statements last week when we heard that tape, which dobbed themselves in, but what has he done about it? He says, you know, big words and tough words on the day, but when the story sort of peters out by the next day, you don't hear a thing. 
about what they're doing. I'll keep across that too, because that was just outrageous. I've got to get to the newsroom, running late. Let's do that right now on TNT. Okay, everybody, listen up. Big news. Big news. For real big news. Here we go. Now, TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with your TNT headlines. A woman who was awarded $83 million after suing Donald Trump for denying he sexually assaulted her has vowed to do whatever she can to stop him from becoming president again. The White House press secretaries come under fire for claiming three US soldiers killed in the Middle East died fighting for the Biden administration rather than for the country they serve. And North Korea's launched another salvo of cruise missiles off its coast amid heightened tensions with South Korea, Japan and the US. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 24 7, 365. We never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth. From government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk this is TNT Radio. Well, as we've seen in some European and Scandinavian countries in the last 12 months, reality has begun to bite. And many of the big green promises on things like net zero and EV targets have been shelved or dropped entirely. I think you could include the UK in some of that as well. While in Australia, where the words coal and gas are close to blasphemous, the government has admitted that uh, their renewable targets cannot be met by 2030 either. But they remain committed, of course, to the noble but impossible ideal of changing the temperature of the planet. The truth is the cost of this ideology will be astronomical, astronomical for you. Uh, According to economist Dr. Alan Moran, the demonisation and eradication of cheap and abundant coal-fired power will hurt consumers more than they could imagine. Dr. Alan Moran, PhD, runs the Regulation Economics website and is a noted economist who writes extensively from a free market perspective. He was the director of the Deregulation Unit at the Institute of Public Affairs. He was previously a senior official in Australia's Productivity Commission and director of the Commonwealth's Office of Regulation Review. He played a leading role in the development of energy and competition policy as the Deputy Secretary of Energy in the Victorian government. He's published more than 30 major papers and addresses covering specific aspects of the energy industry. In addition, he's authored four books and has given presentations at three international conferences on climate change hosted by the Heartland Institute. Alan Moran, welcome back to TNT. Hey, good to be with you, Chris. There's been a major shift in parts of Europe and Scandinavia on green ideology. Um, what have been the influences for that to occur? Well, I think you've got a you've got a, a dual system, really. You've got the government still pressing forward, uh, trying to introduce more and more measures, not least in Australia, for example. We've got the capacity uh, uh, system whereby we've got additional requirements on the major companies to, um, to, to invest in, uh, in renewables. But you've got the requirements generally being pushed in the in the, um, uh, the, the, the event, the, the, the Dubai uh, meeting, which basically kind of reaffirmed and reinforced 
the the attack on coal and that's coming simultaneously with some of the effects of that attack on coal coming home to roost we've seen lots and lots of farmers on roads in germany and france and in, and soon in spain as well tractors that demonstrations against government policies which are imposing additional costs on them sending them to the wall uh, we've seen the the ending of a, of a major the, the biggest steel mill in the uk called port talbot as a result of the the energy policies in the uk and the, the steel will not be produced in the uk now it'll be produced in china from chinese coal or Amer australian coal as well rather than from uh, from uk uh, gas powered electricity so we, we've seen a, a whole lot of measures like this uh, in, in terms of the politics uh, sort of over overwhelming if you like the the establishment politics which are still pressing forward with additional measures uh, we see uh, we, we've got upcoming elections in many many countries of europe including the european union itself all the polls are showing that there'll be a very, very major move to the right or towards uh, away from socialism. Uh, and it's now getting some of the uh, officials and some of the politicians panicking a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a, it's a matter of wondering whether it's the chicken or the egg, because some of these right-leaning new governments have come into power in Europe and Scandinavia and have changed the targets, have changed the... Uh, budgetary commitments on green evangelism, and we're seeing that in a widespread way. But has that happened after the government has got in, or has the government been anointed by the voters because that's the route they wanted to take, I wonder? Well, they've usually taken uh, some policies which have been saying we're going to uh, ease off on this green stuff, yeah. uh, and it will be beneficial for you in terms of, uh, of, of the, your electricity bills. Unlike here, of course, in Australia, where the prime minister came into power and said, we're going to intensify this green stuff and you're all going to have a have a reduction in your electricity bills of $275 per year. Of course, the price has gone up by much more than 30% uh, in, since that period. So, you know, the, the, the new parties in Europe, basically, or the more descendant parties, if you like, are, are promoting a softening of the green stance yeah. in some cases quite a major softening especially uh, in the netherlands where the, the government hasn't yet been formed but will likely be uh, very much downplaying the the green issues which um, you know they, they were they were talking about banning virtually banning farming in, in in the netherlands and it's a very major even a small country farming output is a, is a major element of their gdp I want to talk about the protest overseas. I've also heard that Scottish farmers have been assembling as well. Is it not time for farmers in the United States, the UK and Australia to join in? Well, that's a good point. I think there is actually a, an intended uh, farmers, not just farmers, but protests against uh, uh, power lines and, and wind farms, etc. in Canberra yeah. uh, next week on the, uh, the 6th and the 7th, or the 7th, I think it is, of February. That's right. Uh, how big that protest will be, I don't know. I don't expect the, the farmers there will be bringing in their tractors because the, the, the broad acre farming in Australia really makes it more difficult to drive a tractor across the country towards the, the nation's <laughs> capital. Uh, but, uh, but certainly that, that will uh, have some impetus, I think, in terms of uh, uh, following the same sort of trends that we're seeing in, in Europe uh, at the moment. Yeah, we're I not think you're... those trends as such in the US, but uh, you, you know, in the US we have a major political situation where 
I mean, it's essentially a very green Biden regime uh, against a very uh, non-green Trump uh, administration if it comes to pass. Uh, Biden, of course, is still pushing with very, very with his, his green policies and more taxes. In fact, uh, only this week, uh, he introduced a policy to prevent gas exports from the United States, which would be a bit alarming for the Germans since they rely on gas to firm their renewables, and especially U.S. gas. Yeah. I want to talk about Australia now. Um, you wrote in The Spectator on the 16th of January that plans for the elimination of coal require increasing re regulatory measures and ever-escalating spending. Explain that for us. Well, basically, I mean, even though the government tells us that coal is, is more expensive, it's a dinosaur, the wind and solar is cheaper, uh, and it's going to reduce our energy bills, the only way that wind and solar is brought into the system is by subsidising it, uh, which means putting a, a, a tariff or a tax on coal and to a lesser degree gas. Mm. So basically, the government is telling us that this great new renewable stuff is the cheapest going to reduce our bills. But even though it's the cheapest, we're going to have to uh, uh, increase the subsidies to it in order to get more. We're spending $10 billion a year on subsidies, which is which is some of it is actually from government direct expenditure, but mainly it's requirements on the energy retailers to incorporate increasing amounts of renewable energy in the in the, the energy electricity that they send to, to us as, as consumers and to industry. And that's raised the price. There was a hilarious uh, press release, as a matter of fact, uh, only a few days ago from AMO, the regulator, saying, oh, all this um, renewable stuff is, is, is reduced the price. It's lower than ever uh, in, the, in the month, in the three months to December. Well, you know, that's, that's speaking too soon because in January, the price has sh shot through the roof again, as it always will do. Renewables are two or three times the cost uh, of uh, coal and gas, and they require horrendous amounts of money to, to, to firm them up in the end through batteries. Uh, and we can easily estimate what the cost of the batteries would be. It's, 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 many, it's perhaps as much as 30% per year of gross domestic product just to build the batteries to actually allow the energy to, store, to be stored so that we can, we can run uh, a consistent electricity supply. And the it's most ridiculous now. thing about all of this, Alan, the most ridiculous thing is that this whole ideology is prepared to spend endless sums of money. There's no ceiling on any of this. There's, a, there's no ceiling on any of the money that we spend to save the planet, and yet there will be no change to the temperature of the planet no matter what we do from Australia. Absolutely not, because simply what we do, it would be replaced from by... by materials produced in China and India and elsewhere, which have no intention of, of moving the way that we have moved. They have moved, they have increased their renewables, but they will not replace. And indeed, when you said more and more money, every almost every day there's an announcement where the government is spending more money. Yep. The, 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 the Future Fund was announced day before yesterday. We have, we have a new uh, head, Mr. Costello, is no longer going to be the head of, of the Future Fund. We, we have uh, 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 basically a died in the wool uh, leftist uh, labor labor guy who's now going to be running the future fund that's 225 billion dollars you can bet your bottom dollar a lot of that is going to be looted to be directed towards renewable energy away from productive investments mm, that's very true you mentioned firming 
which is the big elephant in the room on renewables. Governments and ministers don't like to talk about the cost of firming the energy they get from renewables because that is a major, major, multiple billion dollar cost. But what's the lesson we can learn from what the UK has done in terms of uh, firming up wind and solar? Well, they've got uh, they've, they've got contracts for difference and and they, they had these estimates of what these contracts would be and it was quite an expensive uh, amount of money it was 59 60 60 pounds which 120 dollars per megawatt hour which is you know, much more than our electricity cost now that's what they said it was going to cost the firm them they put the the tenders out and lo and behold it was double that and they yeah. still continue double. going around with them. It's double it, and they and you know that that's that's just for the basic power. They then got to find some money to build batteries, or or and they're talking about nuclear, building nuclear, or building more gas. But you know they 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 the costs just go up and up, and nobody actually comes back and say, "Is all this feasible? Mm. Is all this feasible?" Because it is feasible, but only at a, a massive cost. You've got to have the wind comes and goes, the sunlight comes and goes. You've got to have something supporting these all the way through. And it's not just saying, okay, look, it, it's sunny for six or seven hours a day, therefore you need another uh, 12 or, or 15 or whatever hours a day uh, of support. No, you need a lot more than that because it's often not sunny or, or the, the, it, it, there's low sunlight. And so you need, you need many, many days of supplies of batteries. Some have estimated you need 20, 25 days. Of batteries, and that's when you get to some of these very, very expensive costs of of, of 10, 20, even 30 percent of GDP just to yeah. actually run there. It's just t total madness, and nobody is actually putting a check on it and, and saying to ministers, This is what you've got to spend. They're all hoping, Well, there's going to be some great breakthrough in the future. Maybe there will, but you can't see it, and they've been saying it for 20 years and it's not come. If the treasurer, if Jim Chalmers was worth his salt, he would walk into cabinet and say, can you just forget about this crap? Because it'll just send us broke and we'll achieve very little. That's what he'd do if he was worth his salt. I've got to take a quick break, Alan. Stay with me. I do want to talk about EVs and also the Australian Capital Territory that seems to have uh, some kind of monopoly on knowledge when it comes to climate change. We'll do all of that with Dr. Alan Moran right after a break on TNT. When the world's endangered animals need help most, when their lives are at greatest risk, when they would otherwise be lost, the International Fund for Animal Welfare is there, taking action to rescue the animals we love, to protect them and their threatened natural habitats. But the danger to animals the world over is growing, and the need for your help has never been more urgent. On land, you'll help stop poachers from threatening and killing elephants and big cats for the illegal wildlife trade. In the oceans, you'll help rescue dolphins, whales, and seals from deadly hazards. And you'll help rescue, rehabilitate, and release vulnerable animals when disasters strike. Here at home and around the world, we can't do this work without you. See how you can help animals and people thrive together at joinifall.org. The challenges our planet's animals are facing sometimes feel a bit heavy. The animals haven't eaten in a day, two days. They haven't drank anything. They're cold, they're dehydrated. But remember, there's good happening right now. 
at home. All right, we were able to get into your unit, and we have all four of your cats. So, uh... <laughs> okay. And around the world for any animal, any disaster. Search ifa.org forward slash disaster ready. You're listening to Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. A couple of quick comments from our chat box on tntradio.live, which, of course, you can take part in by all means. Uh, we Fat Shog has said all this pseudoscience, mankind has barely had any effect on the atmosphere. The seas and the sun are the controlling factors. Uh, even by their own crazy science, they will only achieve a tiny drop in temperature over a century. Trillions to achieve it. Laugh out loud. Let's talk about EVs because I was interested to hear from the chairman of Toyota Corporation last week at an information seminar in Tokyo make the statement that uh, even at best estimates, he doesn't think that EVs can command any more than 30% of the market, which flies in the face of everything we hear from climate change ministers worldwide. Alan? Uh, it certainly does. Toyota has been a long time realist in terms of the EV revolution. Certainly EVs are here to stay and we will see them increase and perhaps to as much as 30% of the market. Uh, and maybe they'll go higher eventually. But uh, they, they aren't coming along at the, at the uh, massive pace that was anticipated. Uh, and indeed, uh, in the EU, the, uh, the, the Confederation of, of left uh, centre-right parties is now saying, well, that goal that we had for a 2035 elimination of all but EVs and new vehicles, we're going we're gonna to lay that to rest. That, that, mm. that's, that's a goner. Yeah. So, you know, basically EVs are, you know, have, have got some great characteristics, but they are always likely to be more expensive uh, and, you know, less, less adaptable for long distances and things like that. So, you know, we, I think the Toyota is, is uh, reasonable in, in, in making those statements. The other aspect of EVs, of course, is the more of them, the more pressure on the electricity system. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, 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 we've been talking about, well, electricity is now making it more difficult. It's more difficult to actually balance the electricity load than it, than it was because we've foolishly moved to these renewables. EVs will exacerbate that problem. Where's the baseload power coming for that? Back to Australia. Now, you wrote in this article dated the 16th um, about a number of things, but including the ideologues in Victoria and the ACT who want no gas or coal. And then you've written, written an article on January the 20th focusing on the ACT, which projects itself as a pioneer in the net zero emissions of carbon dioxide, and they want 100% wind and solar electricity. They are heading for a rude awakening, aren't they? Well, you know, the thing is the ACT can say what they like, but the ACT really doesn't exist. It's a sort of a, a part of the New South Wales grid. And, uh, you know, they can say they're going to go 100%, but effectively they're going to go whatever New South Wales goes. And at the present time, they're, you know, 70% coal. Uh, yeah. And that might decline. But So they, they can keep doing that. And they'll they'll contract uh, supplies um, allegedly for themselves uh, from renewable sources and continue doing that. Uh, but already they're seeing in the ACT the, the impact of that is is a quite a large increase 
in their electricity bills compared to those of Sydney, about 17% higher, probably be even higher in, in the future. So, you know, the ACT is basically taking this line, uh, virtue signaling line in terms of uh, renewables, but it, it really can't do anything because it is a microcosm within the, the New South Wales system. Yeah, so they can uh, pontificate as much as they want, but they already pay a premium for electricity in Canberra, don't they? They do. That's what. So they're they're, they're contracting forward supplies from renewable sources. That doesn't mean to say that that those supplies are actually entering the, the houses and the shops, etc., uh, uh, of the ACT themselves. But they are contracting for those supplies, and as a result, the electricity prices in Canberra are above those of Sydney, seventeen percent. Above, maybe, maybe they'll go even higher. It's just catastrophic. Can I just say one more thing to you? I spoke with Dr. William Happer yesterday from Princeton, um, a fellow who's the chair of the CO2 Coalition. He thinks the world will turn on green evangelism, that they'll wake up to what the real science says and how much we should really be spending uh, to make a difference to the temperature of the planet. And he reckons that we're going to learn the hard way, that basically the world will be uh, energy short uh, and energy broke, and that's the only way the world will wake up to their folly. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's right. Uh, that is the only way they'll wake up. The nightmare is that, you know, that, that this will be a gradual process, so gradual that nobody will really recognise it. It's almost like you know, the decline of, of Argentina for 50 years. Uh, it just went on bit, bit by bit by bit and nobody recognised it and, and, and made the sorts of moves. Now, certainly William Happer, uh, uh, when he, he was uh, the, the climate guy in the Trump administration, yeah. very, very senior and, and uh, a great scientist as well, uh, so he, he knows what these costs will be. He knows what they will be, and he will be informing a an incoming Republican administration, if we get one, what these costs will be, and will be instrumental and very important in turning things around. And that is one of the key key aspects. If there is a change uh, in November in the U.S. Uh, after the election in the U.S., uh, U.S. will abandon all of these green uh, subsidies and and will return to uh, nuclear, gas, and coal. Uh, and with that, other countries will be forced to follow suit, including Australia. Uh, mm. It will be the end of the game if there is a Trump or, or indeed if there's a DeSantis, as possible, so uh, administration following the elections in November. A little bit of common sense in this area wouldn't go astray right around the globe. Thank you so much for your time, Alan Moran. You're welcome, Chris. Great to be with you again. Good to have you on the program. Fantastic. Dr. Alan Moran, PhD, runs the Regulation Economics website and uh, terrific to have him on. A couple of quick things I wanted to tell you about. Uh, Godfrey's Group. Now, if you're an Australian listening, you would look at the Godfrey's Group um, in the same kind of way that you would see McDonald's. It's a wonderful Australian story. They're an iconic retailer of vacuum cleaners that have been selling in Australia for 100 years. Well, the group has collapsed into administration. With cost of living pressures and the challenging economic environment, according to the company, sucking out its profitability 
and causing its demise. Godfrey's is no longer. The business had been owned by the Johnston family with former patriarch John Johnston, a co-founder of the business and still active within the company at 100 years of age. What great history. He died in 2018, just five months after he let a takeover of the business, which included it being briefly listed on the stock exchange. Um, According to Mr. Johnston's daughter, Jane Allen, she said today, sadly, like many retailers, we have been heavily impacted by consumer confidence and spending due to the economic era of high inflation, rising interest rates and intense cost of living pressures. It is a sad, sad development at a time when things are awfully tough if you're running a business. And if only the Australian government could understand from experience how tough that would be. The problem is those galoots have never had a decent job or even a real job in their careers. I've got to get out of here. Dean Macken is uh, looking after you straight after the news. We'll get together at the same time tomorrow. Looking forward to that on TNT.